to Internet Marketing for Humans, digestible internet marketing insight and advice to help you grow your business. Hello, welcome back to Internet Marketing for Humans. I'm your host, Andrew Laws, and I'm a human. And I have another human on Zoom with me to talk to today. And rather than introduce my guest, I'm going to allow them, you, so I'm looking at the guest on Zoom. Uh, dear guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Andrew. Yes, I will introduce myself. Um, I'm Dr. Astrid Coxon. I'm a psychologist and I live and work um, on the beautiful Suffolk coast, so just up the road from you. Um, and I work predominantly at the moment as an academic, so I work in research and teaching. Um, but I'm also, I should be in private practice by now, but COVID had other ideas, so that's been a bit delayed. But that's, that's the long-term goal, is partly to do some academic work and then partly to have my private practice as a, a person-centred counsellor. Great. <laughs> so one of the things that we've we've discussed kind of covering in this this episode of the podcast is kind of talking around the, the working at home. I was going to call it phenomena. It's, it's a thing. It's something that, that probably almost everyone has experienced now. And we talked about how we're going to cover this. And I think it's probably best if you kind of share some of your experiences. And I think your your insight as a psychologist would be very interesting on that. Well, I've, I've worked from home on and off probably most of my working life um, because I've been a student forever and being a student is a lot of working from home, especially during my PhD. That was very isolated, very much on your own, very self-motivated. You had to be self-motivated to get things done. No one was kind of micromanaging, standing over you, making sure you got your work done. And that, for me, made me realise, I think, how much I enjoy working from home. And um, I managed to, once I finished my PhD, managed to land myself a really pucker job, actually, <laughs> um, as an online teaching fellow for King's College. So at the moment, I teach uh, online for a master's in the psychology and neuroscience of mental health. And I'm just about to start teaching uh, for an undergraduate psychology degree also online as part of the University of London worldwide. And yeah, and private practice obviously will be working from home as well. I, you can see in the background, this is my office. This is where I spend the majority of my time. There's a sofa and everything, it's lovely. Um, and from my perspective, working from home and having control over my external environment feels makes me feel a bit more in control over my internal environment. So being able to kind of get up when I want start work when I want, stop work when I want, unless I've got meetings. Obviously, I had to go to a meeting first thing this morning. It's it's very freeing and it makes me feel a lot more calm because if the weather's nice, I don't have to start work straight away. I could go for a run in the countryside or I could walk the dogs in the middle of the day, especially over winter. It was really good for my mental health to be able to go, well, it's light now. It's not going to be light at three o'clock, I might as well get out and enjoy the daylight while I can and catch up with my work when it's dark and be inside when it's dark. And I, obviously I know that not everyone has that that position available to them. If, if you don't have, have an office-based job or if you can't do the work from home that you'd like to do because you don't have the software or the equipment to do it or you don't want to work from home because you like a social office environment, then it's not going to be good for you. But for me and for some of my colleagues, it's been really eye-opening to see how how good it's been to, to, to work from home 24-7. Um, yeah, I, I, 
I, I, at the start of lockdown, I thought this is great. This is this is going to be exactly what I need, and it's going to be really good for me. And for for the first few months, I was like, this is great. I'm getting loads, loads of work done. And then the the guilt crept in because. A lot of my friends were really not enjoying working from home. They really missed their colleagues. They missed their friends. And I miss my friends as well. But they were hating it and they were really struggling with the with self-motivating, getting tasks started, um, get, prioritising their job lists and things. And I felt guilty for having a good experience. And you yourself work from home and have worked from home forever, Andrew. I don't know if you ever feel any guilt. <laughs> Not so much. I mean, I've, I've worked in the city. I worked in London, uh, you know, and commuted there every single day. And to be honest, I was kind of okay with that. I mean, to me, it was three, four hours of sitting by myself on a train, you know, reading a book. It was that's, that's I considered that quality time. Mm. So I've been working at home about twenty years. So it's I'm not ahead of my time or anything. You know, it was a fairly normal thing when I started. But it's been really interesting for me seeing a lot of people around me and, and a lot of my clients, actually, now working from home. And there's quite a marked difference in the way a lot of people are. I mean, I had a meeting just before this, and I don't know what anyone listening will make of this, but I was sat with my feet up on the desk and I was perfectly well relaxed. And it's removed a lot of the pressure to get things done very quickly. Mm. So I think... For me and some of the people I've spoken to about this, the opportunity to spend more time speaking with people is actually very beneficial. I think relationships have actually strengthened in my limited experience because it's not walking, you know, traveling somewhere, walking into a room, looking at the clock and saying, you know, time's up now, we're, we're out of here. People, and also people, most people seem quite happy in their homes, to be fair. You know, they're, they're, they're generally places that they've made nice for themselves so i think personally i think it's a very productive thing it certainly is for, for everyone who works with me well there's the flip side of that as well is is that you can be very comfortable in your own environment and then you know you can do your work and be your pajamas all day and and i think for, for for the beginning for a lot of people that was really novel and nice and oh i can i can sit and eat my breakfast while we have the morning meeting you know in my pajamas but i think for a lot of people the novelty wore off quite quickly and then it became hard to delineate the work life from the home life. And I know friends who live in London who have a one-bedroom flat and they have nowhere to have a desk apart from on their beds. And so they're mm. constantly sitting in bed doing work and that's where they sleep, that's where they try to relax. And trying to then switch off from work becomes difficult, nigh on impossible, and you're, you're constantly in work mode. And I remember when the pandemic started, when the first lockdown happened, I produced an infographic about how to work from home from a quote-unquote veteran because that's um, whilst I don't have the the 20 years experience working from home that you you do I, I see myself as a a native home worker I've learned some things about how to keep my home life protected from my work life so that's making sure I have a dedicated workspace and I try to do all my work in the office rather than taking my laptop into the living room unless it's really cold in here which it can get and I try to put on clothes to come in the office because then it's like okay well I'm at work now whereas especially if, I'm if it's pajamas, cold in home home mode <laughs> so it's it's yeah and my my old supervisor well he's not gonna like me saying old my previous supervisor from um the University of Surrey Professor Mark Cropley wrote a book called The Off Switch which is all about how to protect your mental health and switch off from work and keep those two two worlds separate because otherwise you're at work all the time even when you're not actually physically sitting at the desk it's much easier to slip into ruminating about work things if you are surrounded by work things 
if you can't close the door on on your work space even if it's a metaphorical door it might be a corner of the living room that you've dedicated to working if if you only live in a one bedroom place just creating a space that you can close down at the end of the day keeps that right that's the workspace and once that space is closed down and put away I'm no longer at work and you can move into to home mode um so I think learning those skills of how to protect one world from the other is really important it's it's something that, that I haven't haven't massively considered to be honest but I've also noticed that there's sometimes a difference well there's an assumed difference between people who work for themselves or business owners and people who have jobs and I think the assumption used to be even just kind of chatting kind of casually you know way pre-lockdown that employees would stop working Mm. if they were working at home and I don't think anyone's experienced that I think productivity is actually a lot higher but I wonder and worry as a non- uh, kind of mental health professional, whether what we're heading for is a bit of a precipice here where everyone's going to get super productive and then we're going to have a, a kind of a, a fallout in sort of six months to a year time where everyone's completely burnt out. Yeah, and you see that kind of... Ne- ne- it's, it's kind of part of the neoliberal agenda, um, especially in academia where if you're not performing and outputting loads of work and it's kind of becomes a, a, a bit of a brag when you say, well, I've, I've worked a 70 hour week for every week for 50 weeks on the trot. And then everyone's kind of subliminally encouraging everyone else to work to that. That becomes the minimum standard now. Being overworked becomes that minimum standard. And if you're not overworked, then you're not working hard enough. And there was an article in The Guardian just a few days ago. My partner sent it to me saying, look at look at how lockdown has kind of turned turned things to the dark side where call center workers who are now working from home where possible are are being told that they might have to have their webcams on so that their managers can monitor that they're actually working yeah. and they're not eating at their desks in their own homes in their own homes they're not allowed to eat at the desks or relax whilst they're at work and that sort of panopticon you know this big brother watching you then you're constantly hyper vigilant and thinking is someone watching me and making sure I'm working productively for every minute of every hour of every day that I'm at work and I don't think anyone in the office works that consistently 100% of the time but but with webcams you you have that constant uh, observation possible and it becomes a massive invasion of privacy I one of my friends is has said I, I've I've now taken to wanting to turn off my webcam in Zoom meetings because I again live in a one bedroom flat and when I turn on my webcam they see the whole of my my private space you know there's nowhere mm. else that I can sit that that doesn't have like a, a screen behind me there's nowhere that I can protect my environment um, unless you have a, a virtual background which can be quite distracting for some people <laughs> um, but yeah it it becomes it really blurs the lines between what's belongs to work and what time belongs to work and what space belongs to work and what belongs to you as an individual so I can see I can see how it's not attractive to some people um, and I do recognize I'm quite privileged in having the space that I do but uh, yeah it's it's been an eye-opener it's a massive eye-opener for me it's interesting you mentioned the the thing about the webcams because I kind of was working on an article for a client recently and there's a new product called the Mood Beam. Have you heard of this? I haven't. What's this? The Mood Beam is a bracelet that employers request, politely request, I hope, mm-hmm. their employees to wear. And essentially it, it measures their mood. It has two buttons on it. One button for I feel good 
and one button for I don't feel good. And the idea is that managers look at spreadsheets, essentially, to, to try and figure out which members of their staff are feeling good and which ones are not. And I have, uh, I won't mention their name, but I have a client who's, who's in HR and they have, they have a really interesting take on it. And their take is basically, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really like, hang on, look, if you're going to do something like that, you need to really think about it because it, it's, it's, to my mind, goes beyond the invasion of just being seen. This is now your soul. You know, mm. this is now kind of how, how you feel. Your mood is, is a very private thing. And, you know, a lot of people, I think everyone probably, and I'm speaking as a non-psychologist here, everyone has a persona they put forward. And I know a lot of people whose work persona is very different to the home. I, I went through a disc analysis with my business coach a few a few months ago. And what became clear is that my work persona is is quite different to my home persona. Not like vastly different. I'm not two different people or anything. But in my home life, I'm quite quiet. Um, and just I should just say as a, a caveat to anyone listening, Astrid and I do know each other. Kind of, <laughs> we have met. We're, I we're know both... you as not a quiet person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that might be my Astrid's a musician and I am, so we, we we're well we're friends through through kind of bands and stuff. Yeah, but that might be my music scene persona. Mm. You know, it, it might be a different thing. And I think if you're going to start measuring people's moods, it's my very subjective opinion that I think you're taking something away from people. That that kind of facade that we build, mm. it's kind of a choice. I think we we choose to act in a certain way. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I I, I think that that constant um, constantly being monitored doesn't allow you those those micro moments throughout the day where you where you might just kind of deflate and reset and go back to work. Um, and I wonder if this this starts to become uh, like a, a a micro version of of what's referred. Oh God, I'm going to start getting all theoretical now. But what's referred to in the literature is allostatic load, where you have stress. And if you don't have time for proper recovery between bouts of stress, you it's just stress upon stress upon stress. And that, that's what leads to things like burnout. If people can't recover properly from the stresses of their everyday life and their work life, then they're less effective when they return to work. Um, and so you get people who maybe are shift workers or these people who can't make that work life um, delineation, who can't separate their work life from their home life, who never really really recover properly from the stresses of their work life. And so when they actually return to work proper, on you know, back on the clock, they're less effective than they would be if they could actually have that space to, to breathe and to be themselves. It, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that most people are not two completely different people between home and work. But you, there is that you put on your your work head um, and you, you you reserve certain kinds of energy for, for home life and, and work life. And if you don't have reserves for either thing, then you become less good at either thing. And then that's when real problems start to set in. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of kind of relating it back to being a musician. There's a certain amount of performance. I mean, mm. you, you, you've seen me on stage and I've seen you on stage a bunch of times. And we, we, you, you ham it up, and I mean that. I don't mean you. I mean all musicians. Oh, you I ham do, it up. Man. Oh no, so so do I. I th I think it's the role of a musician to be ridiculous. I think <laughs> genuinely, and I've gone quite far down that path in the past. But it, it's a performance, and we only have to do it for. I mean, twenty five minutes, half an hour is a fairly long set in in our world. Um, but I've kind of been wondering in my own mind how similar that is to being in a Zoom call. 
I mean, I'm very relaxed because I'm speaking to you and I don't think I'm generally a massively stressful person. But kind of the back-to-back video calls all day long, Mm -hmm. there's no decompression. And it is hard work speaking on a video. And I'm not just saying this and declaring it for everybody. The fact is that you can see me from the shoulders upwards and yet my whole body is still doing the body language things. And it's made very challenging because I can see you from the shoulders upwards and I don't know what, what the rest of your body's doing mm-hmm. without sounding too bizarre. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? So you, you, have to, you have to really, really look. And then people aren't sure whether to look. I, I tend to look at the camera, whereas the more normal thing to do is to look at the screen. So no one's quite looking at each other. I noticed I was in a big Zoom call. Um, last night actually I go to a thing called Toastmasters which I love it's like a speaking club and I realised I was still in the habit in the the work mode of looking directly at the lens and I could see about 20 or 30 people on the screen in front of me whereas I was the only person looking at the lens and it just made me stick out like a sore thumb so I'm getting completely anecdotal here but but yeah the, the decompression and what did you call it the allostatic load Allostatic load. I could even send you references to put on the show notes if that's something you do for this podcast. <laughs> oh, abs- absolutely. I'd like to see the, the infographic you made as well. But it, it ties... I promised myself I wouldn't just do um, do that thing that people know. For example, I've got friends who are doctors and all their friends will start just talking to them only about doctor stuff. But I've spent enough time kind of in, in pubs and venues with you and not talked in depth about this that it's, it's, it's kind of coming out. Um I've been reading recently about a concept from an old book written by someone who wasn't a psychologist, written by a, a plastic surgeon called Psycho-Cybernetics. Have you heard of that? No, no, but I'm interested now. It's written in the early 60s, and, and the principle of Psycho-Cybernetics is that it's, it's classed a business book, kind of, but the principle of it is this plastic surgeon started turning people away um, when they wanted work done. Because, for example, he talks about burns victims or people who become obsessed about their nose being too big and they blame that on all their unhappiness Mm -hmm. and he sort of i'm really not not going to try and summarize the book but his, his principle of it is two things for one thing the the inward opinion of oneself is directly related to productivity happiness and lots of other things which for for an old book, I think we're kind of there now. I think don't think there's many people listening who could just not get that. You know, it, it's it's well established and well accepted now. But the, the the other principle in the book he talks about is the ability of the subconscious to work out problems. So, for example, if you load yourself up with with data, which is I this is how I use it, I load myself up with data, and then go off and do something else entirely. And the theory is that my brain will probably help figure out some of that stuff, even though I'm not consciously, I haven't got the words in my head kind of thinking about it. And I, I worry that with the, I forgot what it was, telestatic load? Allostatic load. Allostatic, sorry. That with that, you're never giving your, your subconscious a, a chance to, to kind of do its work and to speak up. Absolutely. And I, I, it was really funny because I was just I had a drop in session with my students this morning. That was the meeting I had to go to. And uh, we, we, were, we were talking about their upcoming uh, dissertation submission that they have to do. And they're, they're all stressing about having to like present their analytic approach and talk about stats and things. And they're really getting themselves tied up in knots. And I remember being there. Um, and we, uh, myself and my colleague, another teaching fellow, were doing the best to reassure them. And, you know, by the end of the meeting, some of them were going, thank you so much, that's really helpful. But I decided to end the meeting with, look, it's a long weekend, it's the Easter weekend. Please 
take the opportunity to take some time for yourself. It can be really tempting when a deadline's coming up to think, I've got to focus on this 24-7 until it's handed in. But you don't have time for that, like that subconscious figuring out. And some of the best ideas come to you when you're not actively thinking about the thing. And there there must be some concept in psychology that's just not coming to me related to this. Um, But yeah, it's, it's like you're standing in the shower and you come up with the best idea ever. It's because you're not actively thinking about the subject that you, you need to solve the problem for. And that is, mm. I think, yeah, I think you're quite right because you're giving yourself time and space away from actively processing the problem. The background brain work does, does its thing and it, it, it not necessarily solves all, all of your problems for you, but it, it's, it, does, it does do some of the work for you and it takes the pressure off as well. It, it's, it, that rest and recuperation is a really important part of, of the process. And I remember when I was doing my PhD, I... I was stressing to my supervisors saying, I haven't done any work on this. I haven't done any work on this. And my secondary supervisor, Dr. Jane Cross, who I shall always acknowledge as being one of the, the most influential uh, women in academia to have, to have encouraged me and, and nurtured my growth, said to me, but you have been doing work because you've been doing the reading and you've been mulling over these ideas in your head. You don't always have to be sat at a desk typing things to be working. There's a lot of background processes that are invisible work. That's fascinating. So I'm mm. making a note of that because, <laughs> uh, to be honest, Astrid, kind of we're 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 twenty odd minutes in, and it's 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 gone by incredibly quickly. I mm. mean, that this whole topic of um, kind of mental productivity with respecting the sanctity of self, and and uh, I don't like to use the word intelligence because I think it's it's chucked about in a very dangerous way. But this this is a subject that I'm absolutely fasc- fascinated by as I hope um, the listeners are. And I think it's something that I think I'd like to kind of explore further on, on a future podcast. So listeners, if you're listening to this and this this kind of discussion appeals to you, then then please do let me know because it's I'm, I'm very kind of wary of the sort of what I call the foo-foo psychology of things, you know, the, the kind of, well, just meditate and you'll be fine. You know, there, there's, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. So I would love to carry on talking. Just on and on and on but I'm going to have to draw it for a close for this episode I'm afraid but is there something that you'd like to to leave the listeners with I don't I'm uh, not even asking for advice just sort of well, what would you <laughs> like your parting shot to be I, I think I think my, my parting shot would would be to to people who are stressing about working from home is is to we're in this for for a, probably a little bit longer and part of uh making the best of this situation is is exactly that to make the best of it and to embrace the the opportunities to to use your home space in whatever way you, you wish and and give yourself permission <laughs> give yourself permission to have a nap in the afternoon if you need to if you feel absolutely drawn out by work and you think right i could take an hour's nap now and be more productive then do that and it's so i i think it's so difficult to kind of tear yourself away from that imposed way of working because we've been indoctrinated for so long about well you go to work at nine and you leave work at five and that's a productive work day I've had far more productive work days being able to schedule my time in a way that suits me on that day than I've ever done working in an office nine to five fantastic (laughs) that's my parting blow but I'd love to come back I'd be happy to come back and talk more if you want to if you want to explore, if you want to explore these concepts further, if you want to talk about how also the, the whole online working, remote working phenomena has been really uh, important for accessibility issues as well, that's something that I wanted to talk about but never found a way in with it. Is how working from home and, and online working has kind of highlighted how 
difficult things have been for uh, single parents or people with disabilities or um, people who, yeah, who can't work in an office for whatever reason. And I'd love to talk about that sometime as well, if you're up for that. Absolutely. Okay, so great. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, Please let us know what you think of this. And I'm, I'm kind of obliged to say go like subscribe and stuff i mean i'd appreciate it if you did but if you don't well you know that's up to you really so i'm going to say goodbye would you like to say goodbye astrid yeah thank you very much andrew goodbye everyone sorry no just before you go how can people find out more about what you do oh uh you can find me i've got my own sort of badly maintained and poorly put together website um it's astridcoxon.wordpress.com i haven't even got my own domain name it's terrible um or uh i have a, a twitter page where i talk about work and also all the ridiculous things i do like roller derby and weightlifting and stuff and that's just at astrid coxon and i've got a king's people page if you go to king's college london and just search for astrid coxon i'm on there as well excellent we'll put the link in the show notes Okay, well, I really am going to say goodbye now. This this is a proper a proper real one. So thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this, and I don't know, rock on, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Bye.